Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning, Stockwell service. How are you doing today? Great. Well, you've been better, but you've been worse. There we go. Um, really great to be here. Um, it's my only time here this term, actually, which is at least very sad. Thank you. I was offering, after, after a bit of a panto response there. Very sad it's only my only time here this term, but uh, want to make the most of it. Uh, brief health and safety announcements. Uh, if I cough during the talk, it's not COVID. Uh, I'm in the middle of a big house renovation, and um, three weeks ago, really stupidly, I'm the worst DIYer in the world, I inhaled a mouthful of plaster dust, and it just irritated my lungs, and I've been coughing uh, ever since. So if I cough, that's the reason why uh, you are totally safe uh, in my presence. Um, Okay, uh, we're on week, I think it's week four, could be week five, uh, with the kind of staggered services, I'm not quite sure, but we're spending uh, the first half of this term in John's Gospel looking at the I Am sayings of Jesus. Uh, And today we're in John chapter 11, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and declaring that he is, I am, he says, the resurrection and the life. Uh, And as a small aside, uh, this is actually a really pertinent topic uh, for our community in Sutton right now. Uh, unexpectedly, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we lost a member of our service. A member of our church passed away, the most beautiful and wonderful Nigerian lady uh, called Arike. A picture of her, I think, coming up uh, on the screen. Uh, she's just the most amazing lady. Uh, in fact, I believe with all my heart we are in our current venue uh, where we're seeing amazing stuff happen because she prayed. Uh, it was impossible to get in. She prayed and, uh, and we got into the venue. In fact, I'll tell you this story for free. Uh, when she first joined our service... Um, we would often catch up in the week and one week she said, Andy, she said, God has told me there is a couple in our service that are struggling to have children. And that was interesting to me because just a couple of days earlier, a couple had pulled me aside and said, Andy, we've just had some bad news from the doctor and we're not sure we're going to be able to have uh, children. Could you come around and pray? Uh, The prognosis is not good. And I was about to tell her this and she said, don't tell me who they are. want you to know I'm going to pray. And she really did. And about nine or ten months later, uh, wonderfully, uh, amazingly, surprisingly uh, for this couple, they gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. And I remember talking to Arike and saying, hey, remember that conversation from like nine or ten months ago? Like, baby has come, isn't it amazing? And she just looked at me really knowingly and she said, Andy, she said, I will pray for the next one. And she really did. And um, if you come to our service now, we are like overrun with children. I mean, we have 97 kids on our books uh, right now. It's just noisy. It's chaotic. And I blame her and her press. I mean, she is just the most amazing lady. And she's right at the core of what we are building. Uh, Her three children, uh, who are all grown up now, one of whom is married, uh, are in our service too, as are her grandchildren. And so this is a very sensitive and tender time for our community as we walk through Uh, this together and so Jesus declaring I am the resurrection and the life it's not an intellectual proposition for us it's not like oh that's a nice thing he said this is something that is an experiential reality for us and whether or not you are grieving I think this is quite an important topic for our world right now if you look at the last two years uh, millions dead as a result of Covid millions more grieving what does this say to us what does this say to us as a community as we walk through this personally what does this say to our world. And I want to walk through this story in John chapter 11 together and just draw out four things that I hope can help us as we respond to grief and challenge uh, in the present time. Uh, Let's start at John uh, chapter 11 
and verse 1. John 11 starts uh, with some bad news. We read this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Uh, Verse 1 and 2 also tell us that Lazarus was from a place called Bethany. We'll come to that later. That's right next uh, to Jerusalem. And it's also the place where Mary and Martha lived as well. We'll meet them a little later on in the story. So Lazarus from Bethany is unwell and things are not getting better. And so verse 3, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus. Lord, they say, the one you love is sick. And then Jesus does something very unexpected. All the Bible commentaries pick up on this. Verse 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why on earth does Jesus do this? The one he loves is sick. Yet rather than going and fixing the problem, it seems like he stays put and does nothing. What is he playing at? You know, I'm going to guess that many people have been in Martha and Mary's shoes. Meeting with a doctor does not go well. News comes from the hospital and it's the worst possible prognosis. And just like Mary and Martha, we send word to Jesus. In fact, maybe more than that, we cry out to God, help us, heal us, deliver us. And it seems like Jesus stays put and does absolutely nothing. What exactly is he doing here? Well, as is often the case in John's Gospel, there are a couple of deeper messages going on. And the first one here is the first thing that we do when we encounter grief and challenge. And it's this, we pray. We find God and we pray. When Jesus stays where he is, he doesn't just sit back, relax and do nothing. The word that John uses is very specific. Uh, Now, if you uh, were at the church retreat, Hannah Relwin in her brilliant Saturday evening talk uh, confessed that she and Johnny think it's pretentious when speakers sometimes use Greek words in talks. Uh, Just so you know, I'm the kind of guy that needs to look up the word pretentious in the dictionary, so I think we're okay here. Although Johnny felt this usage was borderline. Uh, It's a Greek word, uh, "mino" is how it's pronounced. It'll come up uh, on the screen. And it's used particularly in John's Gospel, in John 15, but actually throughout John's Gospel, it means to abide. And it's a word that John uses to denote close proximity to and relationship with the Father. In other words, when Jesus gets bad news, Lord, the one you love is sick, he doesn't run around trying to fix the problem. The first thing that he does is he spends time with Father. He abides with him. He prays. In fact, we know that he does this because later on in the chapter, verse 41, when he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he says this, Father, thank you that you heard me. And you read it in the story and you think, hang on, when did the Father hear Jesus? And you go back through the story and you get to this point. When he stays where he is, the first thing Jesus does is he abides. Therein lies a lesson for us. A really random illustration on this. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across a Danish word. Uh, It's spelt uh, H-Y-G-G-E. I should have asked Lars Meta for the correct pronunciation, but I kind of guess that my pronunciation would be better than this. Um, And I, I looked up three YouTube tutorials and came across three different pronunciations, so I just picked my favourite, which was Hayoga. Hayoga. Is that, is that right? No? What should it be? Huga. 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 That's actually equally as satisfying to say. Huga. Huga. Uh, some of you uh, want to say it yourself under your breath. Should we have a mass saying of the word Huga? Yeah, we've got yes from Nathan Games. So on three, let's just get it out of our systems. One, two, three. Huga. Oh, you love that a bit too much. Huga. Now, 
best way I can describe this, it's from the 1800s. Um, I'm the Danish expert in the room now, guys. I've got the mic. And uh, I want you to imagine it's like grey and wet and drizzly and January and cold and horrible outside. But inside, you are snugly and safe and cosy. You know, you've got grandma's blanket over your legs. You've got a mug of hot chocolate, roaring log fire. You are hygge. That is Jesus in John 11. This is a great illustration. <laughs> Bad news. Lazarus is sick and he's not getting better. But Jesus abides with the Father. And we should too. Uh, I'm sure most of you know the story of um, the missionary Jim Elliot. Uh, many decades ago, who was tragically killed by the tribe that he was wanting to share the good news of Jesus with. And in the wake of the tragedy, his wife Elizabeth, uh, she kind of worked through her own grief, became a well-known speaker and writer. Uh, one of my favourite quotes of hers is this, joy is not the absence of suffering, but it is the presence of God. We as a community are walking through grief right now. But we can find joy. Why? Because we have him. Our world is going through an unprecedented pandemic right now. We can find joy because we have him. And actually, when we gather together on Sundays, this is to be a safe place because we can connect with God and the people of God and know, yes, there's a pandemic loose in the world right now, but we have him. Joy is not the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. When we encounter grief, when we walk through challenge together, first thing we do is we abide with the Father. We hugger with him. Second thing we do is we recognise our dependency on God. We abide with God, and as we do, we recognise our dependency on him. You see, there is a second reason that Jesus stays where he is when he knows that Lazarus is sick. Back to the story for a moment. You see, the disciples don't realise how serious things are with Lazarus. Verse 12, they say, he will get better. Uh, Jesus, we discover, is not one to break bad news gently. So he told them plainly, verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And then he says something very surprising, verse 15. And for your sake, he says, I am glad I was not there. That's harsh. Lazarus has died. I'm glad I wasn't there, guys. What? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. In other words, Lazarus is sick. Jesus waits and he's glad that he is waiting. Why? Because I want you to believe in me. I want to bring you face to face with your limitations, your weakness, your mortality, and show you I am stronger than that. Uh, let me unpack this a little more. Uh, what Jesus is doing here, this miracle, John very particularly calls a sign. It's pointing to something. It is showing us something. Uh, this is one of seven signs in John's Gospel. Uh, you probably know this. You may have heard this already. Uh, but seven is a very significant number for John. He uses it uses it throughout his gospel. Uh, seven uh, to the Jews was a symbol of completion or perfection or wholeness. The earth was complete in seven days. It's John's way of saying Jesus is complete and whole. Seven I am sayings, seven signs, seven declarations from different people that Jesus is the Christ, including from Martha in this chapter. Seven times Jesus says in John's gospel, he only speaks the Father's words. John 6, seven times it's said that he's the bread of life. I mean, it just comes up everywhere. It's John's way of saying that like, he's the perfect and flawless one. And this is the seventh of the seven signs. So it's like the culmination of everything John is wanting to show us about the perfect and flawless one. It's like, yeah, he can walk on water. 
and turn water into wine and heal a paralytic. That's three of them. He's Lord over creation. But can Jesus beat the enemy that no one in all of human history has ever been able to beat? Can he actually beat death itself? Uh, In the culture of the day, uh, there was this kind of myth, a kind of folk belief that when somebody died, their spirit hovered around the body for about three days, trying to get back in. But on the fourth day, it's thought the spirit would depart, decomposition would set in, and all hope would be gone. So if Lazarus is raised on day one, two, or three, the people might say, oh, it's not really a sign, is it? The spirit got back into the body. You're not really impressing us there. But on day four, this is a real contest for Jesus. Has Jesus really got what it takes to beat death itself? And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Because I want you to believe. I want to show you something. I want to bring you face to face with your weakness and show you my power. You know, if I had to say one of the things that maybe trips me up the most in my walk with Jesus, it's what I would describe as my self-sufficiency. Me thinking that I've got it all together. I can do this in my own strength. I came across a stat a couple of weeks ago, um, which said this, the average man, I didn't say woman, maybe this is women too, I don't know, drives 276 miles per year whilst lost, simply because he does not want to ask for directions. 276 miles a year whilst lost, because he's too proud to ask the way. Just want to be honest with you, I am one of those men. Um, I hate getting lost. I absolutely hate it. It really stresses me out. I'm a busy guy. Things to do, places to go. Uh, but if there's one thing I hate more than getting lost, it's asking for directions. Uh, firstly, you've got to stop the car, get out, find someone. I mean, that just wastes more time. I can do this in my own time. And secondly, with like sat-nav technology, how stupid do you look? Like, I, I can't even operate this thing. Can't even find my way uh, to where I need to go. Uh, the problem is I am the second worst navigator in the history of the human race. And my wife, Joy, is the worst. Um, uh, I mean, this, this story's for free. Nothing to do with the talk. But um, a couple of months ago, um, uh, we were on holiday in Malta. And we are lost as a goose. I mean, we haven't got a Scooby-Doo where we're going. And the kids are all getting, you know, stressed in the back of the car. And I'm trying to drive on, the, on this little Maltese motorway. And, and Joy's got the sat-nav. And she's literally, like, doing this, which is always a bad sign. And um, eventually she says, she says, I think I know where we're going take the next exit on the motorway. So I'm like, okay, off we go the motorway. And as we take, take the turn, she's like, no, no, that's this exit. I meant the next exit. I'm like, what? I'm like, thank you for the pastoral sympathy. I was like, no, no, no. Well, I just thought we'd come off here to see if we could find a shop that sells a dictionary. Anyway, um, <laughs> never take a lift with us. We will get you lost. Uh, but that, that's how I live my life. You know, when I became a follower of Jesus, Uh, It was because I had this awareness of my own brokenness and my need of God. But you know, after a while of being a Christian, I'm like, I think I got this now, Jesus. Give me the wheel. I don't need to pray so much. I don't need to read the Bible so much. I I can do this. You know what? I start getting lost. You know what Jesus often does when I start getting getting lost? He's like, you know what, Andy? I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait because I want you to believe. I want you to see the consequences of doing things in your own strength. And so when things start going wrong for you, I'm not going to step in every time and fix it, because otherwise I'm just going to end up like a self-entitled brat. I'm just going to wait, because I want you to believe in me. 
you know, sometimes if I'm ever doing like a one-on-one pastoral chat with someone, uh, one of the questions I will ask is, how are things going in terms of prayer and reading the Bible right now? You know, one of the things I look for in that moment is the telltale eye roll. This kind of, ugh, read the Bible and pray. I know that one, Andy. Because if someone does that, it's usually a sign that they've lost this sense of, I am just utterly dependent on God. I might throw the odd prayer up there. I might do scripture now and then. But is that really the answer? Well, in many ways, yeah. We are just utterly and totally dependent on him. And in our comfortable Western context, we just often forget that so easily. I've got this, Jesus. Leave me to it. Jesus is like, you know what? Lazarus is sick, and I'm glad I waited because I want you to believe in me. How do we walk through moments of grief? Number one, we abide with the Father. Number two, we recognize our dependency. Step three in walking through grief or overcoming challenge is this, we receive the ministry of Jesus. Once we know how dependent we are on him, then, then we can receive his ministry. And we're about to meet two people that have come to terms with their own dependency on Jesus. Uh, The first is Martha. She comes into the story in verse 21. Lord, she says to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You see a dependency? You'd been here, would have been okay. We need you. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Then a couple of verses later, we meet Mary. When Mary, verse 32, reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who'd come along also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Really interesting contrast of emotions, contrast of reactions to Martha and to Mary. Both of them essentially say exactly the same thing. Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. To Martha, Jesus gives what I would call the ministry of truth. He like lifts her eyes to him, like, look at me, Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe I'm stronger than this challenge that you face? Yes, Lord, she replies. Mary seemingly does not need this. She says exactly the same thing. What does Jesus do? He sees her tears. He sees everybody else's tears. And he weeps himself. And the responses are, see how he loved him. It's what I call the ministry of tears. The ministry of truth and the ministry of tears. And at different points, we need both of these in our walk with Jesus. This is not a profound statement. I guarantee there are people in this room right now going through a hard time. And if it's not you, I guarantee you know somebody who is. Do you need the ministry of truth or do you need the ministry of tears? Is the reason you're in church today because you need the ministry of truth? You need to walk away from church knowing Jesus is better and greater and stronger than that challenge that I face. Like you are the resurrection and the life. You are greater Lord and I trust in you. I believe. Is that what you need? Or do you need the ministry of tears? Are you like, yeah, I I know that. 
I just need to know he's with me. I just need to know, oh, wow, see how he loves me. It's a beautiful picture that John paints of Jesus. He's not only Lord over the problem, he's with us in it. When I finish this talk in just a few minutes' time, I'm just going to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come and reveal to us more of Jesus and offer us the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears. So you leave this morning knowing, yeah, that thing I face, he's bigger and he's better and he's stronger. Or maybe you leave this morning knowing, oh, wow, see how he loves me. How do we walk through grief as a service? Oh, we abide with the Father. We hugger with him. We recognise goodness. I, I can't beat death. I, I can't fix Arike's death in our service. We really, we need to go to God now. We need him. There, there we receive his ministry. Yes, yes, he's stronger. But actually there's people in our community right now that don't need that. They just need to know, oh, he loves me in the midst of this. And then the fourth and final thing we do is this, we hope in the resurrection. Back to the story for a moment, verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, by this time there's a bad odour. He's been there four days. Jesus said, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you, you heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Uh, There's an old story that's done the rounds uh, in churches. I've not used it before, but chances are you may have heard it. Uh, It's a bit cheesy, don't know if it's true. Uh, But the story goes that two men uh, once walked into a museum and came across this painting. Uh, It's entitled Checkmate, and it supposedly depicts death playing humanity at a game of chess. Uh, Death, if you can see the image, looks a bit haughty, condescending, soon to be victorious. He's got more pieces on the board. Humanity looks fearful, apprehensive. It's going to get me soon. And the story goes that one of the two guys became absolutely captivated with this painting, Checkmate, and just stared at it over and over and over, and eventually started whispering under his breath, the title's wrong. The title's wrong. The title's wrong. There's another move on the board. The king can make another move. It opens it all up and actually death can be defeated. And he starts allegedly running around the museum gallery saying, the king's got one more move. The king's got one more move. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. To me, it sounds a little bit cheesy to be true. But that's what John is showing us in John 11. Death looks like it is victorious. And we're about to find out that the king has one more move. And Jesus steps into the rink with death, with a mixture of compassion and rage. Like weeping, deeply moved in spirit and troubled at the impact that death has had, what death has done. But then also rage, that's what the Greek communicates. He's angry at this. He's like almost in battle mode and he shouts. Not often you hear Jesus shouting, Lazarus, come out. And out comes Lazarus, grave clothes off. Seemingly alive and well, Jesus has won. Then a really interesting thing happens. At least it's interesting to me. This moment right here is the last we read of Lazarus in the whole of the Bible. I mean, you'd think there'd be some kind of interview. What was it like? 
tell us. Or maybe he'd go on to like cure a disease or something or invent something amazing or change the world in some way. Instead, John's like, no, Lazarus, you need to just go off stage now. Why would John do that? Here's the reason. It's because this is not a story about Lazarus. This is a story about Jesus and what he can do. And so John wants to leave us looking to him. It's like, Lazarus, you've now played your part off stage. All focus now is on Jesus. And there's another important detail that is very easily missed. And it's this. This miracle happens in Bethany. Bethany, in terms of geography, is like a hair's breadth from Jerusalem. There's a map uh, coming up which shows you just how close it is. You can kind of see one uh, from the other. Why is this significant? Here's the reason. It's because Jerusalem is where they want to kill Jesus. And the disciples know this. Verse 8, like when Jesus says, okay, maybe we need to go to Bethany, the disciples pipe up and say, but isn't that where they want to stone you? When, when they actually think, okay, now let, let's leave, now let's go, verse 16, Thomas says, okay, Jesus, we'll come with you that we might die with you. Even the disciples know that going to Bethany is basically a death sentence for Jesus. And this is a theme that is repeated again and again and again in John's Gospel. It's like the subtext beneath the text. Just a few examples coming up on the screen. These aren't, aren't even all of them. John 5, this is after... One of the signs, the healing of the pool of Bethesda. We read this. They tried all the more to kill him. John 7, 1, right after the feeding of the 5,000, I am the bread of life. The Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. John 10, good shepherd and the gate. People pick up stones to stone him. And here again in John 11. In other words, what John is saying is this. This moment right here is just the prequel to something far more significant. The raising of Lazarus is like the warm-up act for something far greater. Because through the cross, Jesus is going to take on death in a much more direct way. He will succumb to death himself. He will give up his final breath. Blood and water will flow from his side. He will shout once more, it is finished. And then it'll seem like death has won. Like God's in heaven doing nothing. But then a tomb will be empty. Grave clothes will come off. Death will be confounded. And scared, timid disciples will set in motion a kingdom mission that changes the face of the earth. We are not meant to read John 11 and look at Lazarus. We're meant to read John 11 and look at Jesus. Uh, I realise it wouldn't be a Christchurch London talk uh, without a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis. Uh, Which way is it going to go this week? It's C.S. Lewis. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Um, always winter, never Christmas. Uh, the wolves are trying to kill the kids. Really scary moment. And then we read this. And now, a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do, but the moment the beaver had spoken his name, everyone felt quite different. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or delightful strain of music had just floated by and Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realise it's the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. You read the story and you don't even know who Aslan is yet, but you hear his name and you get a sniff of hope that something or someone greater is coming. That's John 11. We don't even know the fullness of what's coming yet, but we read the story and think, oh wow, something great is coming. 
And through his death and resurrection, his resurrection life becomes my resurrection life. To go back to that illustration of Hugger, we don't find God in the middle of winter. We find the God who is stronger than winter. And the very best thing I can do at the end of this talk is actually do what John does here. It's leave us looking to Jesus. Now, as I lead our community through grief right now, I feel like my primary responsibility above all others is to leave people looking to Jesus. Joy is not the absence of suffering, but it is the presence of God. And in the midst of all we are working through, we have him. We find him. That's the best way I can serve you this morning. Goodness, all the I am sayings are about that. Let's just look at Jesus. Yes, our world is going through an unprecedented challenge right now, but he's greater. And we have his life in our life so we can trust in him. How do we walk through a moment like this? We abide with the Father. We pray, we find God. We recognise, I, I can't beat this. Oh, how I need him. We then receive the ministry of Jesus, of truth and of tears. Oh, how he loves me. And then we hope in the resurrection. Something greater is coming in the story. Uh, can I ask us to stand? Could I just invite the, the band back up? And um, as Lou said earlier, we're going to worship Jesus now. And this is a moment really to spend the rest of our time together just looking to Jesus. He's just amazing. And I want to encourage you to do just that. Give him the worship and adoration of your heart. Just before I do, I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I just want to encourage you to just be open to meeting with God right now. You may want to get into your receiving from God pose, whatever that is. And if you're new, what I mean by that is just basically posturing yourself as a way of saying, God, if you're there, I want to meet with you right now. So Holy Spirit, I just want to ask that your presence would fill this room. I know you're here, but I want to ask that you would intensify your presence amongst us. Show us Jesus, I pray. Show us Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we love you. like that moment in Narnia even as we speak your name we pray we just know the activity of your presence in our hearts life within us streams of living water bubbling from within come Holy Spirit it's not the end of the story something greater is coming I want to ask as we worship now particularly for the ministry of truth and for the ministry of tears that for anyone who is open we would either leave this morning knowing he's greater than that thing that I face or oh wow how he loves me Holy Spirit come